do you want to go into stasis for the rest of the trip and forfeit 18 months' wages? Do you want to listen to Dwarf Cast by Ganymede and Titan? Shoes. Awoga, this is a Dwarf Cast. Hello and welcome to issue 3 of the Dwarf Casts Magazine Rack, brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. This is the series in which we reread, digest and dissect every single edition of the Red Dwarfs Magazine, issue by issue. I'm Ian Symes, the Lord God of all things Smegazine, and I'm joined as always by two complete Smegazine Kevin Keegans, Jonathan Capps, Hello. And Danny Stevenson. I, uh, I would love it. I would love it if we did a dwarf cast on this Smegazine issue. Well, you're in luck. Because today we're covering Volume 1, Issue 3, confusingly the first one that's actually called this magazine. We recommend having a copy of the mag in front of you as you listen, and if you don't have a physical copy, you can find a link to a digital version in the show notes on your podcast app or at www.academy.tv. But first, it's time to set the mood by taking a look at what was happening in this world on this magazine's cover date of May 1992. In what seems to have been a bit of a slow news month, plans are unveiled for a fifth terminal at Heathrow Airport, which eventually opened in March 2008. Well done everyone. The space shuttle Endeavour makes its maiden voyage, but as it's not shaped like a penis or captained by an arsehole billionaire, nobody cares. Los Angeles is torn apart by rioters protesting police violence against black people, and thankfully that's all been sorted now. In football, Liverpool win their fifth FA Cup, while Leeds win the Football League Championship, which sadly for them doesn't count, as it was still a few months before Sky invented football. (laughs) Similarly, Barcelona win what is technically the last ever European Cup, before it's rebranded as the ironically named Champions League. In entertainment news, Johnny Carson retires from hosting The Tonight Show, with Jay Leno and his massive chin taking over the reins. Linda Martin wins the Eurovision Song Contest for Ireland, the first of three consecutive victories before the competition started costing too much to host and so the committee selected an awful song about a horse performed by two inept priests. (laughs) When this magazine was released on the 30th of April 1992, the top film in the UK box office was Hook, featuring of course Bob Hoskins as Shmee, and at number one in the music charts was Deeply Dippy by Right Said Fred who these days are just deeply dipshits. (laughs) But anyway, on to the magazine. Well, before we do that, I was watching a show about the Hubble telescope, because it's 35 years old, and the first Endeavour mission that you mentioned was to service it because its mirrors were fucked when it first launched. So there you go. Good. That seems like a worthwhile Endeavour. Yeah, didn't it? Just a worthwhile distraction from me. So, onto the magazine. You should all have received your free badge when you downloaded this podcast, so wear that with pride. The badges will be sent out as NFTs. They will cost £10,000 each, and it will just say, I am a cunt, and you get to put it on Twitter. Well, the badge on this did say Smeghead. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, you know, which is good, because that badge would genuinely have been an incredibly exciting (laughs) addition for, like, people of a certain disposition and or age i would have been excited anyway as a nine-year-old and uh i can guarantee you that um uh, mr merchandise with his at the time badgeless hat would have been absolutely delighted (laughs) as he pinned his very first badge onto it (laughs) the first of many (laughs) so yeah we're back to colin howard again uh for the second 
cover in a row. And again, based on, but not identical to, a famous publicity shot. Yeah. Old Craig's having a bit of a whitey. That's <laughs> <laughs> some sort of Nam flashback. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he seems deeply disturbed, but everyone else is mildly amused or disgusted at either the badge or what's on the monitor. Grimmer likes it. There's been some discussion in the comments about what the eyeline is supposed to be. <laughs> but it seems like they're supposed to be looking at the badge. But as people have pointed out, the badge was actually placed slightly above <laughs> the little uh, warning in the corner. So mm. they're sort of just looking at the warning rather than the badge. And it was stuck on with fucking sellotape as well. And it's like, oh, yeah. God, the, just the, the stress of thinking about trying to take that off without ripping the paper into three pieces. I mean, what's the alternative? Because like, I remember like computer magazines, they'd put either the, the, the tapes would either be sellotape or you'd get like, you know, those little hot glue things that are supposed to peel off. We call them bogeys. Bogeys, yeah, but they yeah. still <laughs> fucked up the covers to be fair yeah you could do it um on a little bit of card that's stapled yeah uh, like to the main oh. staple yeah yeah but i mean these these were quite these are quite papery they, were, they weren't glossy magazines these whether they were just just straight they were matte yeah. yeah i don't know his name <laughs> yeah, I think he's got a special thanks actually. Thanks to Matt Finish for his, <laughs> for his paper supply. That is straight from the pages of Charles Brandreth's Daft Dictionary. And if it is, I didn't realise. No, I don't mean literally. But, oh, right, yeah. I see. <laughs> so, yeah, as previously alluded to, this is the first one that's actually called the Smegazine. Like, for shorthand, we, re- we refer to all of them as Smegazine, but the first two are just called Red Dwarf Magazine. It feels like as if Magazine 3 seems to be kind of when they properly start doing what they want to do. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, it, it sounds weird. It's almost like they've started too early and it was like too late to change it. So it was like, right, okay. Well, we'll... <laughs> well I mean, you learn by doing, right? Like, you get the feeling that this is all kind of a fresh endeavour for almost everyone involved. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, while not everything in this magazine is brilliant, it's probably the first time I would say it's a cohesive thing. It definitely feels like there's a step up for this one. In terms of the prose, there's a shift towards more factual things other than just the interviews. There's more factual prose and less bad fan fiction prose. Mm. And that stuff is slightly better as well, but we will most certainly get to that. Mm. Yes. I can picture, like, two months into everyone working on this, someone in the office going... We could have called it Smegazine. <laughs> Shit. That's, 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 yeah, I get the exact impression that that could have happened. But yeah. thankfully, they updated it. In, in an age where the overuse of the word Smeg is, you know, was was perfectly acceptable, you'd think they they would have started off like that. But maybe this is where it begins. Maybe this is where the abundance of Smeg yeah. begins. Is, is with this name. Smeg always starts with a trickle. <laughs> leads to a flood. <laughs> oh dear. Holly, as you've never seen her before, unless you've watched Dimension Jump. <laughs> well, it's not, like, I mean, we'll get to it, but <laughs> they're barely. There's one picture where she's <laughs> slightly <laughs> not ahead. Head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is just a classic interview tagline, isn't it? It's like revealed, yeah. you know, uh, the, finally the truth. But the truth Harris, about Chuck McDonald doesn't wear trousers. Or <laughs> Gary Sandbrook likes big dinners. Oh, he does. <laughs> Excellent reference. <laughs> Shall we open up? Let's do it. Overleaf. Oh, got a bit of Foley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Ooh. We get an editorial, everyone. 
it's tiny, but we get one. <laughs> yeah, you've got three lines there. Yeah. So after a very short editorial, we have the contents list, and that includes plus two rather nice staples down the spine of the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and on Thanks Watch, this week we have Mr. Flibble as the uh, edition. Ah. Yeah, without wanting to give anything away, there's always a joke one in the Thanks to. It's interesting as well, because where is this in the timeline of Series 5 being on TV at this point? Has, has it, it's I mean, it's finished. Like completely happened now? It's yeah, right. been and gone. The the previous mag was released on the same day as Back to Reality aired. Right, So, because it kind of weirded me out. There was a lot of Red Dwarf 5 references like so soon after, but I, I'd assume these were weekly, but they weren't. They were monthly, weren't they? Yeah. And they've got the um, the details for the advertisements uh, and it's kind of like please could someone place an ad with us please <laughs> we're dying here <laughs> oh one thing in the credits that has been missing from previous ones there's credits now for feature artists um carl flint and john gearing so we have some idea as to who's done the illustrations for the for the written features which previously wasn't mentioned at all we still have to have a bit of a guessing game as to who's yeah, <laughs> either Flint yeah. or Gearing, one of the two. Ah, well, we'll have a comment on John Gearing when we Aww, get to it. Ah, what? Yeah, uh, Cybromley actually decided to get his comments in before we started fucking recording this time, so he's got some interesting information <laughs> for us. But first, the comic. Ah. Oh, the end of the end. This. And yeah, interesting. In it, just. Obviously, the the three million years thing wasn't just a just a, a like a oh we we're just going to stop here and continue next time. It was intended to be an actual cliffhanger, which is good. Yeah, it was. Mm. Yes, yeah, so they have to add a few lines, rewrite the scene a little bit to make sure that it works out of context without you know having followed on directly from the previous part. It's almost like a when you have like an ad break in between a program, then you have to have some line. <laughs> yeah, it, like Family Guy yeah. Yeah. all the time. You have to see the uh, the replay of Penelope Pitstop uh, slowly being raised towards a spike to remind yeah. you what was happening before the break. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. Right, first start, library vid. Yeah. I wonder if this is the author getting a little bit too excited about what would have probably been a fairly new concept of being able to get videos at the library. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't imagine they really did it much in the 80s, but as as VHSs became commodities, basically. Mm. Um, yeah, and they got a lot cheaper. cheaper yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. It's too, we're in the future. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Library book is funny because it's a bit quaint. Yeah. I do prefer the baseball cards line to the uh, library book line, but that's another story. Uh, yeah, well. again though, that's that's very that only works in America, right? That doesn't work. Yeah, mm. unless it was like football cards or something, that would be something that worked. The, there's an argument to be had that the the main reason why I've still got that library book is funny is because it looks like he's reaching for his library book in his top pocket. I thought he was going to yes. reach for his um his thingy card, you know that. Oh, his card, yeah, yeah, his membership card, card. Library, library ticket. That's what I was thinking it was when he's. I've still got that library book. It's like, oh shit, I've still got it. I do love it, but then again, I like Watson and Guana as well. So fuck everyone. Yeah, I've just realised though who Listers like this reminds me of, and it's Scott Tracy from Thunderbirds. <laughs> Is that because of the <laughs> the fantasy picture of, of him being in Fiji with Kachansky and his arms are flailing about like a no, marionette? No, no, it's just that, that, that sort of front shot on the first page just reminds me of um, thingy, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's the warning sign from 
Team America. <laughs> I just like the idea of like Lister State. I'm going to take care of everything else, and this is what it looks like when Lister State takes <laughs> care of everything one, else. Yeah. <laughs> running away from the massive <laughs> butterflies. <laughs> he's doing the accounts in his head while he's doing that. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lister's an old school sexist. I hadn't really like thought about this. Just yeah, like, he's you know, planned for a chance because she's just going to wear a white dress and ride horses. Yeah, it's it's literally all she's going to do. Lovely girl. And um, dye her head uh, red as well. I mean, Claire Grogan would definitely have a problem with that, wouldn't she? Especially her character from Father Ted. <laughs> One nice detail about that fantasy section is that the border between that and the next frame is slightly sort of crumbles away um, as oh, Holly yeah. sort of interjects and breaks the fantasy with his oh, pointing really out about that. Fiji. That's really Holly's good. disturbing I... the fantasy and making it corrode. Oh man, that's really cool. I like that. I didn't I didn't spot that, but yeah, that's a really nice touch. I thought you were going to mention the giant man-eating moths that apparently live on Fiji. <laughs> no, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Roughly the size of the horse. <laughs> well, it could Would just be... Would you rather be, have? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they could just be very close and the horses are far away <laughs> that's our seventh Faberton reference of the day yeah. <laughs> more to come ladies and gentlemen more to come and then there's another interesting decision which kind of matches the novel a little bit if I remember correctly of breaking up the what is one long scene mm. in the show breaking up the drive room scene so it sort of cuts to whatever the comic equivalent of cutting is, it cuts to um, some while later <laughs> where Lister's relocated to a pub and got changed yep. into his leathers. For the first time in the comic show, I don't think he furry, wears leathers pre his forehat, I think, unless I'm much yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Furry gemhead. This is a really lovely like little switch over. I, I, I like this. Because, because the whole ship looks like a 4-5 four, four, era, Decor. Mm. I, I just I like this blurring of styles. I think it's it's a nice decision, and also just yeah, breaking up because the, this entire conversation happening in the drive room is really one of the first examples of the show having to deal with limitations and yeah, you, you know, like re- really deal with them because it's just there was just so many scenes all in like the same three places, and so here just saying fuck that and spreading it all out is a really good idea. Mm. Do you know what? I didn't even notice the the costume change being um, anachronous. I didn't realize it was it wasn't like that shouldn't have happened in that time. But I wasn't. It's so seamless because it feels like it all looks cohesive. It feels like it's correct. Yeah. But I do like the shot of him being in the bar, like inferring that there's been. He's basically just gone on an absolute bender. Yeah. And just drunk yeah. all lots of that. empties. <laughs> but he's fine. He's absolutely fine. Like he's. <laughs> Maybe that was just over several days. It's called the World's End, so he's managed to go to Camden as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be. There's no one to clean up because the scutters can't be asked. In the novel, he'd been walking around naked for three days at this point, so it, it's just like there's three levels of Lister's reaction to the news. The novel is the most extreme, <laughs> the TV is the yeah. most casual, and this is somewhere in the middle. Which I imagine is something that they'll lean on for a while. Oh my god, the cutaways. Before we get there, the lager bottle that uh, Lister's holding at the bottom of the third page of the comic it seems to be called Red Dwarf Lager except L-A-R-G-E <laughs> Red Dwarf Lar- Large Larger Larger <laughs> Large Lager maybe 
because the dwarf has still got a while to go on this label, so it's yeah. a large lager. Red the Red the dwarf. Oh yeah, Rimmer's uh, Rimmer's in his. Well, Rimmer was in his tunic pre-accident. Oh, of course. Yeah. But post-accident, as well as gaining the H, he's gained the badge. So that, like, the upside down Golgothrinchum badge, uh, which he's had since series three. Presumably, that is some sort of hologram signifier as well. Yeah, makes sense. But or because he's now the highest ranked person on the ship, he's decided he deserves a little badge. Yes, yeah, has to have a little yeah signifier. But it can't be, it can't be the official captain thing. It's just something he's made up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it in a cereal packet. Well, that rumors sort of static effect that he's been given, like it's sort of like a broken signal, sort of TV signal. Yeah, when uh, Lissa's yeah. hands going through. Yeah, and... yeah, just in general, when he first turns up, he's got sort of scan lines on him. Yeah. Like he's being projected from a VHS recorder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe the bootlegs of Series 1 were so badly degraded, even at this point, that everyone <laughs> actually thought that Chris was uh, black and white. <laughs> <laughs> but no one else. <laughs> no one else. Yeah, it's just they were very specifically degraded. Speaking of degrading, <laughs> right? <laughs> the artist definitely has a thing for blondes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like his face, though. <laughs> the face, yeah, sticking his tongue out. Just this whole thing is actually batshit insane, and it must <laughs> it must be deliberate. Yeah. Like the the holding the baby. Look at him posing with the baby. <laughs> it's like you can imagine it like there's three pictures it's like I need to be shown holding a ro- ro- brushing a rose against my cheek. Yeah. And trading a laughing child and interfering with the woman. He's doing a photo shoot, he's he's a politician, he's yeah. a candidate and he's doing a photo shoot, except there's also a little bit of personal yeah. one is snuck in at the end there. But yeah, he's holding the ba- he's not supporting the head at all. <laughs> He's just gripping the baby by the no, really middle. Don't. It looks a bit like the woman is handing him the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to smack him busy. with the baby to get him off. <laughs> I was going to say trying to beat yeah. him off with the baby then, but I changed my mind. I mean, it's a very, I, I imagine it was quite an uncomfortable image to even like, portray. I think you're underestimating the proclivities of uh, 90s comic book artists. <laughs> I think they, like in general, generalising... Comic book artists, especially from this era, but from most eras, really have no trouble with depicting sexual things yeah. at all. Yeah, just like like um, last week, uh, last issue, it was like, yeah, this guy clearly loves cats because he draws cats really well. It's like I, I think this comic book artist might that might not be the first time he's drawn um, a semi nudie lady, <laughs> dirty fecker. <laughs> <laughs> Only he's imagining what she looks like without her bra. <laughs> Ninth, yeah, nine, nine, Father Ted. <laughs> there we go. And because <laughs> the thing that I noticed is because they've relocated this scene from the drive room to the bar, Rimmer's line is that me there doesn't work because it's not. <laughs> no. And Lister has to say I mean, no. How could it? Have been? It wouldn't have been there. in the bar. <laughs> no. I mean, the, the yeah. Why does he like... say, "Is this me"? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. On this page. Oh, I know right? why. Sorry, I've just realised why that, why that is, why he's done that is because he needs to do the, the, the that might as well be me there. That pile of albino mouth dropping that has to happen. Yeah. It's an odd felt line to work. It has to have a pile of things somewhere for him to reference and then from, uh, go back. Mm. Otherwise, it just looks like cocaine on the seat. <laughs> <laughs> 
The third panel on this page, where it lo- looks like it's been shot through a stained glass window, it's very nice. Yeah. But I can't quite place it. <laughs> I guess. Oh, I guess there's there's kind of like an an arty like kind of window separator. It's, yeah, it's it's part of the bar sort of decor. It's a it's an odd decision in a way. Like, there's no logical reason for that particular panel to look like that, other than perhaps the artist just wanting to mix it up a bit and. Yeah. Uh, he's, yeah. he's done quite a, a few panels in a row that are bits of dialogue in this location, so just a, another perspective on it. It's like, but like I think in pre- previously, previously there was panels where we were saying that he's done that because you know he's gone far away from Lister to show his loneliness, or he's pushed in real close to show the emotion. In this instance, I think he's yeah. just. I'm a bit bored of drawing this bar now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I haven't got any. Women or life size, like man sized moths to draw in this page, so that'll... <laughs> yeah. And again, the, this dialogue's pretty much cut and shut, right? There is one set of lines in there, though. there's a yeah. new set of lines. Is that from the original script? I don't know where that's come from because I don't remember. Does he say that in the books? I can't remember. <clears throat> he says, I think you're making a big of a meal out of this. Why couldn't you have died instead of me? There's no point in me dying, that's just plain silly. It might be. I wonder if that's... I, I can't remember. That seems familiar, but I don't know if it's just... that I've just read this a few times, therefore I remember it from this. One moment. <laughs> Easy going. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> just did a little hold music for you there. <laughs> that line, why couldn't you have died instead of me, there's no point in me dying, it's completely stupid, is in the pilot script as presented in the omnibus. So... Tying into our previous conversations, we can assume that that the artist or the editor or whoever had had access to the script as well as just the affair of the episode. Right. Uh-huh. Interesting. Cool. There's another extra line, which is a bit later, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and see, now we're in the express lift. Another change of scene um, and a bit more walkie-talkie. Yeah, and then uh, Rimmer kicks out at a scutter, <laughs> which is yeah, what? seems uh, legit. Seems like something he'd do, but then... Oh, that's what's happening. Yeah. I thought at first that the scutter had somehow tripped Rimmer up, but it's it's yeah, Rimmer putting his foot through and losing his balance, I think is what's happening there, because, yeah, Rimmer goes down like a sack of shit. Okay, that makes more sense. I thought there might be an electrical interference or something. Yeah. Oh, possibly. Yeah, yeah. But no, you're right. It's, it's He's lost his momentum because he... It's a bit like him trying to lean on the, the drive room desk and falling through. It's yeah. Kind of the equivalent. It is exactly the equivalent of that, isn't it? It's the because exact it point that in that the scene. Thing. Yeah. And then... A terrible monster <laughs> appears. <laughs> yeah, this freaked me out when I first saw it. Hello, Dev. <laughs> I got some fish belonging yeah. to me. <laughs> <laughs> the introduction of the cat a cross between Papa Lazarou and Gamork from the never ending story it's just it's that yeah it's, it's, it's the same thing we were talking about last time of like every now and then there's a panel drawn for like a super grotesque kind of close up almost um, and this isn't a big spread this is just a small panel but like it's an unnecessary, like oh, it's it's a jarring style, but it's kind of done there as like a bit of punctuation. Mm. Um, mm. It's weird, <laughs> and I didn't sleep very well last night as a result. <laughs> I tell you, what also reminds me of this. This is incredibly, this is incredibly obscure. But do you remember them fucking adverts for? Is it New Labour? 
from like oh uh, yeah, new labor new danger the fucking crazy an- a- anti to scare the shit yeah. out of kids l is for labor l is, is for lice <laughs> <laughs> new labor new... yeah not the worst conservative yeah. anti-labor adverts but i won't go into that <laughs> danny john jules is the doctor <laughs> oh yeah this <laughs> we were suddenly turned many pages and gone to um, an issue of Doctor Who magazine. Yeah, that is a fucking thought. <laughs> I think John Jules would make an excellent fucking doctor. Yeah. <laughs> this is a weird costume. This costume in particular. Yeah, this costume in particular. Like those boots, he would never wear those boots, I don't think. Those are those are fucking Adam and the Ant boots. <laughs> it's yeah, like it's very pirate you can give them back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not based on a suit from the series, I don't think. It's a yeah. unique creation. Got a bit of a David Bowie, King of the Goblins, bulge going on. <laughs> See, it's weird. If I, if you did not known that uh, that that was the cat, does that not look a bit like Lister with the dreads and everything? Like, yeah, yeah. Because he jumps when, so, when yeah. you see the the silhouette jumping out of the thing. Just looks like another. The silhouette one. definitely. Yeah, yeah. There seems the little bow that he wears. There seems to have really elongated the ribbons. <laughs> it looks. Looks yeah, like it dreads. Look yeah. Very odd. What? That's a collar. Are you talking about the, the, the white? The, uh, the No, the, the, the ribbons in his hair. Oh, I do big fun. Yeah. It's like a little bow, because you can see in the in the bottom right. Oh, you can tell, uh, like, yeah, later on you see exactly what, yeah, that's what. Yeah. Is that meant to be his tail, then? Is that meant to be the idea of it? Being huh. like, a, like, that's the cat's tail, is that that? Yeah. I think his tail is the thing that's all bulged up in the front of his trousers, <laughs> in, the, in the long shot. <laughs> That's David Bowie. That's he's, he's got, got, he's got one, one pair to tie up in his hair and the other pair to roll up and put down. His <laughs> I mean, this is absolutely Danny, Danny's likeness, right? I mean, like the, the next shot of um, the little tiny little panel on the next page is absolutely like that's hundred percent. The one where he's reaching into his pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the and, yeah, and the, the bottom, bottom right, right as well is clearly Danny. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> Eek. <laughs> As a reaction, <laughs> it's an eek. <laughs> yeah. They both say it simultaneously as well. <laughs> Not in unison. or any of the normal noise, but yeah, eek, eek. <laughs> Don't say eek in front of the cat, it'll smell your fear. <laughs> and then massive, massive holly. Yeah. I've always ah, loved the idea really of seeing that yes. in reels, like a proper, you know, like, because it, it was always described in the books like that, in like the first thing you come up to was a yeah. massive four story picture of a you know massive disembodied head and i was like oh, i like the idea of that and like yeah the the passage where they, they say about him winking and like i forget the exact wording but it was just yeah like his single story you know sized eye his, his massive eyelid his massive eye <laughs> winked essentially he had massive massive eyes <laughs> listen holly's eyes are big i mean really big <laughs> What they do here during the explanation of the evolution is they preempt remastered by several years of having a diagram of the cat evolution. Oh, yeah. Ascent of man. Ascent of man. Ascent of man. 15th Wednesday after Pentecost. Ascent of man is um, Link's Africa. Ascent of man from Calvin Klein. (laughs) (laughs) And the cat arcs going off is not dissimilar to remastered no, either not at all yeah. one of them shooting like towards us and the other one fucking off 
and with mm. cat motifs. Although the the ones in remastered are more like shaped like massive cats, whereas these have just got cat yeah. decals. <laughs> Yeah. And then in the Promised Land, the individual ships didn't look like cats, but maybe with these ones, they all form a cat shape if, if you get a whole <laughs> fleet of them. Because why not? <laughs> just in case anyone's watching. Again, yeah, just nice nice adaptation of what's going on. There. You know, Just making things a little bit bigger, a bit more detailed than the TV series. Makes it a very worthwhile version of the end. You know, like, you know, mm. Makes it feel like its own thing. Little extra lines chucked in here and there as well. The cat referencing Rimmer with being a hologram being grey. Yes. Before that. Oh, right. In fact, if I remember, there's extra exposition here uh, about the cats and the fate of the cats because in the TV series we don't get this stuff about the arcs. Yeah, we've got waiting for God exposition. So they add in an extra line from Rimmer saying there must be millions of these cats in the hold and then Holly gives the explanation as to what happened to them. And that cat yeah. was left behind. So yeah, what they're going to do? Does this mean they, they don't do waiting, waiting for, for God. God? Waiting for God adaptation in twenties magazines time. My guess is that they don't do that. <laughs> well, we'll see. We will. Hmm. I like the idea. Said, was it something to do with looking for God? I think, or was it a tin opener? See, that's that reference as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Melding novel in TV universes. And yeah, and then shortly afterwards, the cat breaks the fourth wall. <laughs> it uh, turns to the viewer and address the reader and addresses us. Just basically saying, yeah, this, guy. Leave this guy. <laughs> this guy. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure he wants to eat me. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always thought a cat did that quite a lot, but he really does it. Yeah, it's a good line. I'm assuming that isn't from the original script, is it? No. No. <laughs> Oh yeah, of course, because he wasn't. I, don't know, I haven't even I haven't even checked, but yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it could have been because the intention was to make him grey. Yeah, but. and I've never spotted this before. But when Lister says Holly says you like these cat, is that literally? Did Holly have to tell him that he likes cat food? Well, it's rice krispies, isn't it? Is it's it not rice krispies? cat krispies. Yeah, I, I think oh, because he says krispies with a K. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought it was like a like Holly's scene like the the, the stars of those have been eaten. Like okay. Loads of those have disappeared in the hold. Therefore, the cats must eat them, and therefore don't. I was thinking them, of so. like cat crispies, like it was Frankenstein. Yeah. Or like just cat biscuits. You know, even in the TV version, he adds milk. Oh right. Yeah, yeah he does. He puts a bit of milk in and spills some on the table. Oh, it really annoys me. <laughs> I do like the fact we just absolutely face planting it. <laughs> like, list, yeah. like Lister in the mash. <laughs> that is quite cool. Like I would find that quite funny if he did that for real. <laughs> like I know he just I know he'd start picking the ball and everything, which is essentially what he does, but like there's not so much milk in it, I just would love it. Boom! Has everyone seen the video of the cat going around this morning of like, it's, it's pawing out all of its its crunchies and like shoving them in its face? With its its little cat hands. Link in the show. (laughs) Link in the show notes. And that is, you will know now what weekend. We're just fresh off watching Big Jet TV and the cat cat spooning food into his mouth with his hands. And then there's a flashback to the cat in Kitty School as an adult (laughs) being towered over by a massive, massive teacher who looks a bit like Jasper as a blonde woman. Who looks a bit like... A blonde woman. <laughs> yeah, my brain did a thousand things trying to work out what the fuck was going on in the scene. So I was like, why is Kachansky reading the cat this, this thing? I was like, 
and I was like, oh, is she meant to be a te- Oh, it's a cat. She's got the teeth. It's not that obvious. And uh, uh, it, yeah, it's just all the all the women look the same. If that had been just a dude, it would have made a lot more sense. But the fact that everyone, every woman on this ship is blonde. Blonde with really <laughs> thick, wavy hair. Yeah. yeah. Someone's got a type. <laughs> yeah, and then fairly straightforward. The beginning, yeah. Yeah. Apart from the fact that Lister does a dance while he asks for Holly to plot course for Fiji. He starts goose-stepping. <laughs> That's him taking care of things. <laughs> <laughs> That's his taking care of things dance. <laughs> 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 I've lost Capsi. <laughs> oh fuck you know. <laughs> the last panel's really nice. Yeah, it is. Obviously yeah. it echoes the, the final shot of the episode, but it's the the fact that Lister and Cat are both looking at us yeah. makes it nice. Rimmer, Rimmer could do with a bit more of a sneer, but then you know, like even with a cartoon, you're never going to match Chris Berry's natural. It's very, yeah, especially when you're not allowed to use Chris Berry's. Exactly, face. they're obviously not allowed to use Chris Berry's face. <laughs> I hope, um, I do hope that um, Chris Tarrant got residuals. <laughs> In other, please buy our other publications news. <laughs> and the same Superman and Batman. We've got the power, but not the power to attract other advertisers as yet. <laughs> and this is a bad sign as well because this is the first ad of the mag, so I'm just, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure this must mean that they're all self adverts again. Almost. Ah, you remember better than me, sir. But next we have what is this? It's some sort of comic prose hybrid. Mm. Yes. Very, very hatty heavy this uh, this issue. It is. It's like they've <laughs> figured out they've figured out to give things a nice theme and run and through line. I think that's one of the first things I noticed about this issue is that it's it's yeah, it's hatty throughout. Lots and lots of different ways. And I like that. Well hatty slash slash holly, I should say. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure why her image keeps changing like this on this broadcast. Yeah. But I really like the style, and I think this is quite a cool bit, to be honest. It's pop art, basically, isn't it? It's yeah, the it's same art, image yeah. manipulated with different colours and different textures and stuff. It's interesting. The jokes themselves <laughs> are a bit... Yeah. Well, it's, it's very similar to the feature in the first edition, which was Holly's Space tips this is essentially the same <laughs> because it's hardly talking about earth specifically but just judged up a bit given a bit of visual interest which is yeah sometimes lacking the words don't always feel authentically holly there's a lot of trying to, to make it sound like holly by adding in lots of right and yeah and wells and, and stuff like that but it doesn't feel like things that holly would actually say yeah. but i appreciate the effort yeah. in making it feel a bit more coherent and and making it visually interesting as well in like a small standalone single page it works yep it does and i've just noticed the moon is the moon from George the old Melier. film yeah yeah the radio gaga video <laughs> <laughs> and yeah switching to switching to norman as well it's just it's cool someone someone's definitely discovered something on their acorn like they can <laughs> discovered some 
some new uh, image processing software. I'm not sure what machine it would be at this point. It looks like as if it's like a black and white image that's just been coloured. Mm. Uh, okay. And sort of the hats and stuff pasted on. Yeah. Yeah. They pasted things on the hat. It could actually be, other than the lettering, it could actually just be physical. It could be printouts of that yeah. picture of Holly that have been coloured in That's by hand. That's what I hand. think it is, yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And so there's like static on the screen, looks like hand-drawn. Vaguely sort of Terry gilliam Yeah, has that kind of airbrushed feel about it. Hmm. Yeah, with an actual airbrush, not a... <laughs> An airbrush. <laughs> From Add on. Pro. <laughs> yeah. Not an airbrush, an airbrush. <laughs> <laughs> and the last paddle as well, um, continuing the, what I think is a good running joke. <laughs> Kevin, yeah. Of Kevin Keegan. I'm, I'm, and, I'm here for the Kevin Keegan running joke. Oh yeah, and Holly, <laughs> and Holly wearing the, the scarf, like she's, she's, she's gone down <laughs> tune. Then another picture of lovely Hattie. Yes, from the main the episode high and low. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a <laughs> slightly a shame that the main picture illustrating the Hattie interview is just is she's quite far away in a quite a small monitor uh, with not very <laughs> <Yeah>. much detail. <laughs> with well, you can only but see her head you. anyway. Her head is covered. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's most interesting photo. thing she did in five, I guess, apart from maybe being low. It's interesting, there was never yeah. any actual shots of Hattie wearing that that's not from a monitor screen. No, I don't think so. Same with no. uh, the low version. Yeah. So no one just went into a booth and took a snap with a photo, yeah. with a photo yeah. camera. But anyway, we've got a nice long three-page interview with Hattie. It kind of suffers from some of the same issues as uh, the previous interviews in that we've had other versions of these anecdotes and stories a lot over the years, but this is not to take it away from the experience of reading this in 1992 when all of that stuff would have been well, new. This is the first one that's taught me something new, because she's talking about her, like very early on, and I think her first, I don't think I'd ever really heard what her first TV stuff was. Mm. Or, like, if I had, I'd forgotten it, so that was, that was nice to read. Yeah. <laughs> Advice shop. I'm in foot in mouth watch on this whenever, you know, you, you read the... Uh... So did you find it easy playing his female equivalent or did you have to work at imitating his style? Oh, yeah. It's just yeah. like, uh, no, that's uh, what I'm uh, like, actually. Have you seen me live idiot. at all? <laughs> <laughs> have you not seen the DVDs, dickhead? Rude. <laughs> but yeah, no, Hattie would never do that because she's just the most polite and lovely person in the world and you can yes. just you can tell from the answers. <laughs> when I first read this interview, I was like, oh, it'd be really funny if Hattie just gave like one-word responses to all these questions. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> when you offered the whole of Philly, had you seen the series before? And were you familiar? Like, ignore that first question. But just like, are you, were you familiar with Norman Lovitz's character? Yes, yes. What's interesting as well is that we get a bit more of this a bit later, but the um, the question, um, did you have any idea then that Norman w- um, wasn't going to appear in the third series? And she said, no, not at all, nor did anyone else, I don't think. So at, at this point, the real reason wasn't public in any way, I don't think. No. Um, in fact, was it even public until the DVDs? Well, no, because they have... Um, they- they say, "Oh, like stay tuned because we've got an interview." Yeah, they do. Yeah, stuff, so yeah, you know, they 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 might break it. Okay, they've got the scoop. They've got the scoop. 
yeah, for some, f- I mean, fucking hell. Um, the next page has got the most fucking bizarre placement of images that I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> what so, the fuck is going on? The same image. I've... The same image three times. <laughs> Stretched in two different ways with three different background colours. Higgledy piggledy. So this yeah. is a reference, isn't it? This is a hilarious reference to her saying, I don't mind being drawn so long as it's flattering, right? Where, where... Is that what it was? Because I, I... I thought it was ironic that they'd done that, but I didn't realise that that's... That yeah, yeah I didn't... <laughs> I noticed that connection. Yeah, it's it's underneath the um, the green background one. As long as it's flattering, I don't mind. <laughs> she also says, I don't mind as long as the comic strip is true to the programme. No gangbangs or anything like that. Well, without wanting to give too much away. Oh, no. <laughs> stay tuned for future comics. Once they start getting onto the original material, it's World West out there. That is that is a very funny kind of hatty joke, though, isn't it? You can imagine her saying that. Like, no, no like sweet yeah. as anything. Like, no gang bands or anything like Another that. Another thing I, I noticed about this and found interesting is that a similar question, probably an identical question to the one that was asked to Robert, of as someone who's a writer, uh, do you ever feel... Uh, that you'd want to add or or change any lines uh, for the Red Dwarf scripts. And Robert says, oh, absolutely not. Like As a writer, I respect the process that um, Rob and Doug have, have gone through and I, I wouldn't be so bold as to suggest anything. Then later went on to actually write an episode. And Hattie just says, yeah, I, I do that a lot. And I think that's, <laughs> it's indicative of the way that Holly was treated in that she was always, always an afterthought in Hattie's era, at least, and yeah, as she told us on the on yeah. the Dwarfcast interview we did with her, that she suggested the line about banging a head on the screen, or suggested actually banging a head on the screen in White Hole. Yeah, and I think she suggested that she fainted when Ace arrived. She suggested that Holly should yeah. faint. Yeah, because Holly didn't do anything at that point. Yeah, Hattie was not afraid to point out when uh, when she had fuck all to do in the in the scripts as written, yeah. and to make suggestions. Yeah, all the bits she suggests are all kind of like character based as well, like just little things like, "Oh, Holly would definitely yeah. do this," where you do get the impression that the writers were never like, "Oh, what would Holly do in this situation?" Yeah, this is yeah. it, and it's like not thinking about that at all, and, and Hattie having to do a fair bit of the legwork in terms of actually making her interesting, and it's. That says a lot. It's a shame because it's horrendously underused, but, you know, that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And fair play, because she could have just, you know, sat there and taken the money and done the exposition, but she wanted to She wanted to improve it. She wanted to improve the character. Yep, and everything she did did improve it. So. However, <laughs> the end of this interview is quite ominous. <laughs> um, yeah. There were rumours earlier this year that you were leaving before this season. Was there any foundation to them? No, that's the first I've heard of it. (laughs) So the rumour was that she'd be leaving before Series 5, whereas actually she left after Series 5. But at this point, nobody knows that she's leaving after Series 5. And this is halfway through filming Series 5. Yeah. Yeah, Not that I'm leaving, but they're they're going to do something different with Holly. Yes, yes they are. Um, Yeah, they are. Something very different with Holly. (laughs) And then eventually they'll do something different where they turn him back into Norman Lovett yeah. for the rest of the character's life. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, not to get anyone even more down, but cats fashion tips are next. 
At least it's short. I, got, I feel that in issue one, this would have been four pages worth of Cat's Fashion Possibly, tips. but it's kind of... I mean, what this is, is a list with absolutely no jokes. And they say in the, in, in the introduction, in character of Cat, that I can't be fucked, I'm just going to write a list. <laughs> so, like, why? Like... Oh, my God. I, it's It's... it's as close to a worthless thing as I've ever seen in one of these magazines. Because most of these things are just normal things, and then the cat says whether they're good or not. And then occasionally... Occasionally, like yeah. Kevin Keegan yeah. wig. Like you say, it's one page. Yeah. <laughs> There's that much else to say um, The title brings to mind the cover of Bad by Michael Jackson. I'm not sure, it's not an exact, but like that red, stylized font along with kind of the serif black font um actually oh, it's sans serif. yeah i don't know i don't know if it's deliberate but this is the same year that bad came out so oh yeah <clears throat> yeah i googled bad michael jackson i don't know i wasn't sure what was going to come up <laughs> the bad michael jackson is the michael jackson that's the one with the goatee <laughs> but <isn't> also <laughs> this is in fact five years after bad came out what bad was bad was 80s 87 oh yeah. fuck me Okay, fair enough. Night two must have just been when I was listening to it as a kid. <laughs> that makes more sense. Right. So, Red Dwarf two on video. I have questions. Question one: Is there two Red Dwarf logos because it's Red Dwarf two, or is that a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of them does look a bit half printed, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not an alignment error because that's a hell of a fucking alignment error. It's like a drop shadow that's just got a lot of distance. <laughs> it's a drop shadow that's got ideas above its station. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. I think it's because it's two videos and it's Red Dwarf. Mm. I just find it incredible that there's... Uh, like for an official Red Dwarf magazine, I suppose... Yeah, I suppose... Does, uh, okay, so this is a question for you two guys. Are there yeah. sort of heavily critical um, aspects inside Doctor Who magazines as well? <laughs> In a manner of speaking, they have reviews and they are proper reviews. And there are very occasionally reviews that are negative, but never about the actual current show, like the most recent episodes when they review those. If there are criticisms, they're very, very small and they have to be couched in five sentences either way of just saying it's brilliant genius, but you can kind of figure out the writer's actual opinions <laughs> if you read between the lines. Interesting, because this feels like as if it's not not really a review more than it is just like a, a way for someone to just have a big old rant. Well, it starts <laughs> that way, and then it, it kind of starts off that way, which put me off wanting to read the rest of it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a bit com- like confused. Like the main consternation is okay, so they didn't have much to go on in the way of pictures, but I I think the covers are really nice. Yeah, fine. Yeah. On these and and like oh the font's too big on the spines like what the fuck are you talking about yeah. <laughs> like I mean to be yeah. fair this is before this was a a cool like this big font and it's clean lines you know like that mm. style is actually quite modern even, you know by even by today's standards so maybe that's just maybe it's because 
there's massive inconsistency in the spines throughout the VHS range, uh, as we will detail if I ever get round to editing that other thing that we made <laughs> about a year ago. <laughs> but the Series 3, uh, which was the first set of tapes to come out, had a very thin Red Dwarf 3 backwards written on the spine. And so maybe that they were expecting it to look the same as that. And I so see, right. they're upset about the inconsistency, but they've expressed that by saying, look, the, the writing's all massive. Like maybe in and of itself, having massive writing on the side wouldn't be an issue, but I'm probably being kind to them there. Because it, it, it is a weird complaint, I mean, <laughs> because it doesn't even look that big. <laughs> I'm not one to really complain about people complaining about inconsistencies on spines. <laughs> yeah. I gave Andrew hell for that on the DVDs, but um, I don't know. If they'd have actually said, it's a shame, I don't like this because it's not consistent with the other videos that I've got yeah. on the Dwarf, then that would be much more understandable. But we've had to extrapolate and, and sort of second guess what their criticism is about, which is not a sign of a good review, really. <laughs> no, not really. They, I mean, they go through all the episodes, and obviously they think very highly of this series. But yeah. I f- also find it interesting that Thanks for the Memory... Now, this is before Thanks for the Memory's renaissance. I'm not entirely sure that's the right word. Reappraisal. Reappraisal, let's say, yeah. Um, you know, All they mention is the it's similar to that Next Generation episode. Don't even bother to work out which one was written first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's all they say about it, even though it's like the best episode of the series. Yeah. I think maybe... Again, reading between the lines, maybe they don't like Thanks for the Memory, but don't want to yeah. slag it off too much in the official magazine, so they just change the subject. Yeah. But they do like Parallel Universe. Yeah. Which is fair enough, the Parallel Universe is a good episode. lacks impact the second time around. Uh, yeah, the, the ending. Which is, because you know yeah, which is weird for me, because I guess, I guess it would, but I never thought of it, just because of the way, the order in which I experienced everything, I never thought of the end of Parallel Universe as this massive cliffhanger but it obviously is yeah like if i'd have watched it contemporaneously i think that's the word yeah as it went out then it would have like not quite as much impact but it would be a similar impact to the end of out of time yeah where you know, it's like, like this massive thing has happened to our characters and this is definitely going to get resolved in the next series as it happened i watched series three before i watched series two so it was never <laughs> it was never something that i really dwelled upon and also, they, they do mention it was the first episode they saw being recorded. So, although mm. to be fair, it doesn't actually say who it is that's talking about it. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, that's what makes it odd. It's either one or both of Howarth and Lyons, because all features are written by Howarth and Lyons. But for a review that has lots of... Well, it's first person. <laughs> I've got a real soft spot for this. It was yeah. the first episode I saw recorded. yeah. yeah, yeah. There really should be a name attached. And they do say... So we can, we can slag them off 30 years later. They do say, like, it's actually billed as a subjective review. But, I mean, like, I'm of the opinion that all reviews are subjective, and if it's going to be objective, it's not a review, it's something else. But it's a press, it's release. A press release. or it's, yeah, it's yeah, a rundown it's a report of facts. Or, 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 yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, so that is maybe kind of preparing us for the fact that it is first person. But yeah, just like they must have clearly had a bee in their bonnet about like you know no credits or anything like you know no, no, nothing's got their name um, anyone's name to it. Maybe because it makes them look a bit like only two people are writing it, or maybe one of Howarth and Lyons was doing the bulk or something. Yeah, <laughs> it would be more noticeable 
if every single article, every single page had at the top of it by Chris Howarth or Steve Lyons. Yeah. Whereas just having the the credit hidden away at the front is uh, better yeah. for that. Um, Edge magazine used to used to have that. I think that might still do. Is that most of their reviews and features uh, were uncredited, and they did have specific editorials that were designed to be from a particular person, usually guest writers, but like the bulk of their stuff was always blank. I, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with that at all. Mm. You read magazines for the personalities and like for the, you know the individual voices, and it's important to know who you're listening to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something that stuck out for me, and I can't tell if it's meant to be a joke or not, but it just says, um, Red Dwarf 2 is available from all good video shops and, and probably some bad ones, which is obviously... A... Ah, yeah, but this this happened before the Smeg-Ups. All oh, right, okay. So I know it's a not very yeah, it's, really it's not it's too. not a very brilliant and jo- unobvious joke, but they made this joke before Bob Llewellyn did. That's not my point. My point is saying at the bargain price of ten pounds ninety nine per tape or twenty one ninety eight for both. I was like, yeah, that's how maths works. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're being sarcastic with the bargain thing because ten ninety nine for a VHS, I think, was the lower end at the time. Yeah, yeah, you'd, yeah, they'd go for twelve or thirteen ninety nine, I think. Um, it was just points. like all oh, oh, thirty two ninety seven for three. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, fill yeah. your boots. <laughs> yeah, you'd think they'd do a twenty quid for both, sort of a thing, wouldn't you? Was Interesting though, they mentioned about the BBC saying we want series one. So obviously, yeah. 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 How long after yeah. series two was series one released? Because not long. Quite long. Well, I'm it? getting mixed signals. Guys. Oh, it's ninety three, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, early, early ninety four. I think late, late ninety three, early ninety four. Oh, right. Okay. So this is the BBC Video plan to launch two more tapes in November this year. So that must have been five then. That was four. Oh, which could be four, right? Yes, of course. There's a joke, and I don't think it's in here actually, but somewhere else is saying if the if the BBC aren't careful, then the fifth video to be released will be series five, and that won't be on. Um, I think I might be later on, but I thought that was quite a good joke. Right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. (laughs) It's a good joke. And it did. It did. Then we have, technically, an advert that's not for Fleetway Productions. True. (laughs) It's uh, the BMS merchandise one. And I think. We had this last week. Yeah, I think think it's the same one as in the previous magazine. Yeah, exactly the same. So, nice. Just look at those prices again and weep. <laughs> Can't get the uh, Smoke Me a Kipper shirt in large, only extra large. And the same with the 3D Croiton. The baseball cap yeah. comes in absolutely no sizes whatsoever. It's just it's... The baseball cap is infinite. I can guarantee you that even an infinitely sized hat still wouldn't fit on my head. <laughs> I I am physically unable to find hats that fit on my head. <clears throat> and because the sizes aren't listed here, it's either going to be too small or too big, but you don't know until you get it. It's basically Schrodinger's hat. Yeah. <laughs> Till you observe how well, shit so... it looks on you, you just don't know. Schrodinger's cap is also an uh, acceptable pun. These are all good. <laughs> all options. <laughs> we'll find out which one I use in the edit. <laughs> cut to the elephant, cut to somewhere else. And then we have the first go at the Red Dwarf A to Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've, sp- we've spoken previously about how the episode guides are a sort of proto Red Dwarf program guide. One of the big features of the program guide was a big A to Z section. Mm-hmm. 
this is a slightly different thing in the it's doing the same thing of kind of rounding up uh, many of the fictional things that are mentioned in the series like in universe things in the in the book version each individual thing has an entry but here it's sort of 26 categories yeah. i actually really like this feature yeah. it's a good it's a good sort of concise the... pulling of all the all the things from <clears throat> from all the episodes we've had thus far and yeah. uh yeah trying to trying to cram as many in as possible the, the only problem with it is that by necessity it has to have 26 um <laughs> entries and really it probably could have done with not having 26 but then that's the whole fucking point, so I'm not entirely sure how you fix that. But mm. um, it runs a, t- a tiny bit long, maybe. But yeah, it's 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 good. It's a good good tone. And like, while their voice for Hattie's Holly isn't really the character, like she, they keep doing this mm. thing of Holly referring to herself as beautiful, and that just that isn't Holly. Holly never does that. Um, no. When I mean, they the get into it, that, that he's got that he, that he he picked his face out of billions available. But that's yeah. true, yeah. But that he was forced into a corner with that one. Yeah, but yeah. I, don't, I don't think that carries over to to Patty's one at all. Like, no, yeah, it becomes a very different joke when you've changed the gender. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it's a good attempt at tying together things that are mentioned disparately across. At this yeah. stage, is only thirty episodes, so it's just like easier to do it at this stage than it is now. Yeah. But I liked things like sort of rounding up all the things that happened in White Corridor 159. It just so happened that all those things happened there. Yeah, that's good. Because they only had one corridor set. <laughs> and um, making the link between, like, just for example, because I'm picking pick one up that I can see, Quarantine. Obviously, they reference the episode Quarantine, but also mention Lister once broke quarantine regulations when his hallucinations were made solid. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's not going for the obvious of just going, oh, cue for quarantine, that's sorted. It's it's taking the effort to tie in all like across the episodes. Marilyn Monroe is a great example as well. Is It's sort of hanging a lampshade on how Marilyn Monroe is used a lot in the series. It's clearly an obsession of Robin Dunn's mm. throughout the, this stage of their career. But it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of rounding all those up in a sort of... And again, like at, at this stage in Red Dwarf's life, before everything had been analysed to death by the likes of Howarth and Lyons and us, <laughs> um, this is actually <clears throat> useful. And mm-hmm. and sort of, though reading this at the time, I wouldn't have thought about it in this way. That like I wouldn't have been familiar with things like the Red Dwarf reference guide or the Red Dwarf Pip or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That are kind of the early internet attempts at documenting the minutiae of red dwarf and obviously this doesn't get into the there's the extremely detailed stuff that the program guide does but it's a good introduction to that way of thinking about red dwarf i think yeah. i'm talking about it in quite a verbiose and grand way for what is just three pages out of a magazine <laughs> but you can see that it's it's like red dwarf hadn't been talked about in this way before now and it's it's just rather than just listing 26 things from red dwarf each little paragraph encompasses lots of things from Red Dwarf. Yeah, yep. and it, it's a, it's a definite uh, follow-on from last month's um, uh, Rimmer's Diary because Rim, Rimmer's Diary was trying to do a very similar thing of like tying things together. It just wasn't that successful at it because there was some inconsistencies and weird apocryphal things. But um, but this seems to be like a, a more distilled version of that, and it's it's just nice to flick through, and it's the sort of thing you can imagine rereading when you were younger as well yeah. which is which is you know essential really for a magazine because you shouldn't just want to read it once 
Yeah, and on that, and on on the uh, lovely picture of Starbug and a very strange picture of Crichton. I love that picture of Crichton. I, it's very comic-y, isn't it? It's so that so that is a piece of work, I believe, by John Gearing. Ah, okay. Um, so Cy mentions this is just an early letter that a young young fan by the name of Cy Bromley sent in. I always found the illustrations interesting here. Artwork by John Gearing, who was responsible for the bulk of Banana Band strips throughout oh. the 80s and 90s, and he also used to do stuff in Dandy and Beano as well. Right. Um, so okay. I think the scutter on the next page is him, and this Crichton is him, and there's various other things. Kind of st- nice. Ooh. But it's the sort of thing I like, like fan art or like you know alternate art for Red Dwarf that I like because it's it's got a style and it's doing it, and it's not trying to be it, it, it's not beholden to photorealism. Therefore, it can be interesting in other ways, and I just I just really like it. But yeah, you're right. That Starbuck picture as well. Gorgeous. Just look at look at it. Yeah, that Starbuck picture. <laughs> I would have, as a kid, sat down and copied that. At one stage, I had memorised where all the lines were on the outside of Starbuck and like all the red lines and where all the various bits oh. that were added on, like that little box with the X, <laughs> so that when I doodled Starbuck in my school books, it was screen accurate. <laughs> Or at least it would have been if I could draw for shit, which I never could. But all the bits were in the right place. I've just noticed actually the uh, the gantry that sort of like the stairs that lead up to Starbug. I was like, the logistics of landing Starbug exactly where those <laughs> stairs are, or having to push <laughs> the stairs up to where Starbug is, both sound like an absolute fucking nightmare. <laughs> well, it doesn't. Those stairs don't appear to be on wheels. Not on wheels. You've got to <laughs> Should have a stair. You've got to carry them. <laughs> You just fucking got to push him up to the fucking... Or, as you say, land exactly (laughs) (laughs) on the sixpence. So it's exactly the right height, but that you don't scrape against the... uh... Maybe there's a tractor beam. (laughs) It's not like an airplane where you can taxi up to it, line yourself up, because the stabbing doesn't work that way. (laughs) Or does it, though? Because... (laughs) Um, It does have the... (laughs) <laughs> Good noise. Good noise. It does have the hover mode as introduced in Promised Land. Oh yeah. So it could sort of taxi over yeah, to it, okay, I think, maybe. but it it didn't in this era. <laughs> what you do is you have a one of the blue midgets just walks over and puts the stairs down. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier. Anyway, I think we've veered. That's alright. So we've got better than life, but it really screws you up. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, Early days of the official Red Dwarf fan club. Back <laughs> where? Back when magazines were infrequent. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't know where to go with this because I don't know where to. Because, like, nothing's fucking changed, does it? <laughs> <laughs> DJ. DJ's the thing that's changed. DJ's changed. Because at the time, DJ presumably didn't, hadn't happened yet. Later this year, ninety two was the first DJ, but right. at this stage, it doesn't seem like you'd have mentioned it for sure in, in this in this piece. Yeah, if you were, yeah. I imagine how exciting it would been to do the first DJ, like to have yeah. the because the, they had the contacts, like the, well, we have, we had the contacts, but like they, they had the contacts with like you know he well he makes this pro the process of getting a meeting with fucking Charles Armitage and Robin Duck sound like <laughs> it's the easiest thing in the world. 
like just ring him up, say, oh, I'll do an official Red Dwarf fan well, club. Well, I mean, all right, mate. No one else had done it, right? So it was just yeah, a case yeah. of like, you know, different we, we, we haven't tried this yet. Let's have a go. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, the, the, what swung it was that um, he phoned up and arranged a meeting in person whereas some other people sent a letter and they and they received the letter after the meeting so yeah. it's just it's just down to the, your choice of medium in those days now that are both emailed at the same time yeah. we would have had a zoom call <laughs> uh, wouldn't have been able to come up with the idea in the pub because of lockdown <laughs> uh. i mean there's a lot of, like i don't want to i don't necessarily want to slug off <laughs> people you know from fandom who were just normal fans like us but having said that uh, there's a lot of new lad yeah. sort of way we were all down the pub and old uh drinky mcdrinkface was there with his drinks <laughs> and we all we all drink a lot of booze <laughs> ian guinness there was was fucking cock, cocktail shell she was there had a <laughs> Fucking Granddad John, Granddad John, <laughs> that's a real one. Racist <laughs> Rick, he was. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's it reminds me. It's like, how how can you tell if um if an early nineties man goes to the pub or not? He'll Don't worry, tell he'll you. tell you. <laughs> Very much the vegans of their day. <laughs> Very much the Yorkshiremen of their day. <laughs> oh, to be fair, this is eighty nine, so this is late eighties. Um. But I yeah. like I like the feeling of this. Like I like the idea of there being a, a weekly pub meetup of weirdies that you were part of, and like you know that that being a yeah. that, I'm not saying that sort of thing doesn't happen now, but it it happens differently, you know. Yeah, I mean it's all not all, but it's moved online. Yeah. Like you don't have to physically go somewhere to to talk to like-minded people anymore. You don't have to seek out a group of people in real life that have the same niche interests as you because you can easily find people with the same niche interests as you but just going online. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, something about that seems more ethereal. Yeah. Is that the yeah, word? Yeah, it is. Uh, real life grounded of, of meeting up with people and, and doing it in person. Mm-hmm. And you're just having this sort of weekly or monthly or whatever date in your diary of this is the day where I go and speak to my friends and yeah. talk about nerdy. It's things. about the restrictions, isn't it? It's like you if mm. you're restricted as to where your social circles can be, then more effort has to go into finding them and therefore they there's the potential for them to have more meaning or maybe, you know, you end up being more productive or you end up, you know, doing things in a different way, whereas online social interactions and groups are very easy to maintain. Um, and yeah. so maybe you're kind of spoilt for choice. I don't know. I mean, because you know, even though our group solidified on the internet, it was very much built around physical in-person meet as well. I think so. I don't think it'd have been. Yeah, would know it'd be near, near as strong if we hadn't have met at DJs. So yeah, like physical friendships were augmented by the internet, but it, you could never have it. Like having a friendship with someone purely on the internet was like. Bit pointless, you know. Usually, you know, you wanted, you ended up wanting to meet up, and so it would it would help that. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the be all and end all. The novelty would wear off pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. I think you because you just like, weren't as online, fun, right? I kind of wanted to be able to, you know. Be nice People to would go a couple of weeks. It's like, oh, sorry, yeah, I've been offline for a couple of weeks because couldn't be bothered or something. Yeah. Like that just doesn't happen anymore. No, because I wasn't in front of my massive desktop computer <laughs> yeah, exactly. after in my house after six p.m. <laughs> on a certain day. Sorry, I couldn't yeah. be online. Someone else was on the phone. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my mum was over my, talking my to my sisters. My sister's yeah. having relationship problems, so basically the internet was off bounds for three days. <laughs> Old men talk about the internet. <laughs> Do you remember modems? Do you remember? Do you remember how it used to? <laughs> you, you'd have to wait so long for the internet to connect. You could polish your brass hand twice. <laughs> A couple of things that struck me from this. Uh, I really like the the description of Charles Armitage as a mysterious and shadowy figure. <laughs> <laughs> like nowadays, we know that he was, you know, he was just this bloke that yeah, worked, just, that worked on just Red this War, guy, you know? did did a lot of things behind the scenes. But yeah, when when you don't have as much access to the behind the scenes world then it's just yeah this this all powerful figure of Charles Armitage because he was an agent he was a showbiz yeah. agent he worked for this big showbiz company Noel Gay and yeah and he was young but it's just a bloke in an Hawaiian shirt who looks like Santa Claus's younger brother apparently yeah and and, and not a bloke in a Hawaiian shirt that looks like Santa Claus as he as he was to us <laughs> yeah. 20 years later <laughs> yeah Funny, funny, funny business. <laughs> and the other thing that, as I was reading this, I was like, it wasn't all new to me, obviously, because I've read both this magazine before and quite a lot of the early Better Than Lives I've read. But there's something weird about the fact that us three, personally, have all been involved in the fan club in various ways. You two properly, fully-fledged team members for best part of a decade. Me, not actually officially a team member, but might as well have been for most of that yeah. time. Whereas we read this stuff about how the fan club was founded and the people that were involved in the early days of the fan club, and it's we're reading, uh, we're learning history. This is, is yeah. it doesn't feel connected in any way, even though it is the same organization. I guess the fan club is like the ultimate sugar babes or <laughs> <laughs> triggers brew <Yeah. laughs> in that. Every single part has been replaced, and now we are one generation removed from the current fan club team, right? So we've we've left, and our replacements have come in, and we know our replacements. Like some of them are, are good friends of ours, some of them we don't know as well in person, but know who they are mm. and, and etc. Yeah. We know our predecessors very well, but there was another at least two or three sets of predecessors before yeah. them. And so the further away you get, even though Nick Ferry founded the fan club and was the chairman for a good few years, like I wouldn't spot him in a parade. You wouldn't pick him out in a lineup, is that what you're saying? It's weird though, there's a high level of, and this might be the same in all fan groups, but there's a high level of wastage in the Red Dwarf fandom, right? You don't, like, there's some notable people at DJ that you're just like, oh yeah, you've been around literally forever. I know, you know, because you know, you see them, you know, you see them on old video, you know, features on the fan club yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like Mr. Merchandise has been around since day one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and, but, but others, you just, you're just like, well, where have they gone? Like, they're just not, they're mm-hmm. just not around anymore. They've just completely like left fandom. It's, it's, and I guess doubly so if you're part of the fan club. If you get to the point where you're burnt out, yeah, yeah. it's such a big commitment, yeah. Because yeah, there's names that are mentioned here, like Maxine Lehman. She was later editor of the magazine after Nick had left, I think, known as CMA. Huge figure in fandom in those yeah. times, and she has she has commented on GNT once or twice, so she's still 
at least vaguely, you know, in the in the orbit of Red Dwarf fandom, but by no means a big part of it, or you know, a, 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 a regular participant in it. And hardly any of the other names mentioned we know anything about at all. Mm. I think what it is 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 just that because it's a volunteer thing, then obviously it's like you have to be able to do a lot of stuff in a very short amount of time and some people have time to do that and some people no longer have time to do that so it just becomes a thing of like there's a sort of a chapter in your life when you have lots of free time lots of energy lots of enthusiasm you pile it all into this thing and then eventually life gets in the way and you're just like right i can't afford to do this free or i can't afford to do Mm. voluntary work anymore i have to start earning a living and having a family and all the rest of it and then everything, and that just ha- kind of happens. If you just draw like a, you know, like on the Wikipedia where they show like a, they show a band and they kind of show the timeline and how when the guitarist left, yeah, and how it overlaps and in. stuff. Yeah, there's a hell of a fucking diagram to be shown of the fan club and how you know where where all yeah. the came in and out of the fan club because it's not really a generational thing. It's almost like it's like a paint palette of colors that are just slowly merging over time. It's like it, there's like this sort of it's not sort of like hard hard and fast points in time mm. it's like it's just organically changing as you go there's a couple of people who like stay the sugar babes and then yeah <laughs> but it's one thing to no longer be involved in you know actively volunteering so much of your time that's perfectly natural that people come in and slip away but it's it's odd that people disappear completely like maybe they just get so burnt out from doing it that they don't want to be involved they don't want to even be so when you think at a dj how many ex fan club team members are actual regulars at DJ? Two. I think there's two. Yeah. One final thing, just about like the this era of the fan club. It's I'm so so fascinated by it because I'm going to be careful with how I put this, but you can sort of tell by the way that this article is written that it's very personal and it's very anecdotal. And there's a chaotic nature to the way that everything is described, and it's all tied up to you know the personality of Nick, who's the guy that is is behind it all. If you look at the early Better Than Lives, they are exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's written very much like Capsi says about how he likes magazines to be of like something that has the personality of the editor and the author running through it. I think the early better than most, they take that to a quite extreme level. Um, There is, I'm not going to mention any names, (laughs) (laughs) but I've been reading through some old better than lies because basically I found a big box of them in a cupboard that neither me or my partner have any recollection of buying. Uh, But nevertheless, there was a big box full of them. And so I've been sort of flicking through and and making notes on them. In an early editorial, I think in the third issue... (laughs) It says, uh, we apologise for anyone that's been um, having problems with ordering merchandise. The person who is responsible for the merchandise isn't responding to any of my calls and he seems to have fucked off with all your money. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing here. So if you have any complaints, please direct them to, and then it lists someone's name, someone's home address and home phone number. So basically doxing someone. It is doxed someone who is responsible for the merchandise. And then, a couple of issues later, in the editorial, it says, 
First of all, I just want to say massive apologies to so-and-so, who I mistakenly believed was responsible for the merchandise fiasco, <laughs> and whose details were printed in an earlier oh magazine. Oh my god, I mean, it's like the sun. <laughs> but then, doesn't that apology then list someone else's name and home address? And <laughs> Quite this possibly. is actually the... Country. It just goes on yeah. and on. Promise. <laughs> I like these, um, I, well, I say like... What the fuck is going on with these pictures of the, the covers of uh, these early Better Than Lives? Like someone, they blew themselves. Yes, they really did. I think they're just printed on. I think they're just using like um, really old uh, print, like systems, like uh, a fucking aircon machine or something. I suppose. Yeah. It's just yeah. I guess not really dealing with white very well. That's exactly like they were printed on white paper, but other than that, that is exactly how they looked. So they yeah. did, they did look. Oh like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I just, I just mean the blue tint, like uh, not the. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's yeah. I do. I love this layout because this looks. I mean, this looks like you know your classic Xeroxed. Although yeah. They're not technically Xerox. They were laser jetted. Um, fanzines. Yeah, it's definitely got a homespun feel to it back in the days when something being made at home meant that it, you couldn't have the production values of, of something that was made professionally, whereas now you can have all the tools yeah. at your fingertips and it's just a case of whether you know how to so use So it's much, much easier to get a regular quarterly magazine out. Yeah, and, and especially if it's a PDF and not even printed and physically yeah, posted. Like, there would be no excuse. To... Moving on. Is the return of the Red Dwarf fan page. Now, these pictures here... Yeah, okay. That looks like the Banana Man artist. Yeah, that's Absolutely. the Banana Man 100%. artist, not the other that's two. That's definitely the Banana Man guy. Yeah, not the other two. So, apologies. Which means that we think that the other ones must have been done by Carl Flint in that right, case. Yeah. Oh, that makes because sense. Because these are definitely John Gearing. I'm looking at the yeah. eyes as and soon thinking, as, yeah. Yeah, as soon as you mentioned Spider-Man... Uh, fucking Spider-Cunt. As soon as you mention Banana Man, you can see it. Spiders do arrive in banana crates. Oh, they though, do. So, you know, <laughs> like the ones in Tesco's. You remember you had that, a lot of that in the 90s. <laughs> Tesco spiders and bananas. Link in the show. Uh, maybe. <laughs> so, look, again, this isn't Chris Barry. There's a def- we've definitely no, got image rights issues going on here. I, I don't know. Definitely. Want to get to the bottom of this shit? The day that they do finally get the rights, if they ever do, it'll be really obvious. We'll see. Ian knows the answer, but he can't tell us, as that would ruin <laughs> everything. So yeah, as, as usual, um, with the Red Dwarf fun page, you get the impression that it would have been more fun if there were actual, real <laughs> quizzes to mm. do, <laughs> like real games to play. But yeah, yeah, these aren't bad. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Well, what, the, the Rimmer's Records one, it's a list of ten album titles, um, and you have to guess which ones are Reggie Wilson and which ones aren't. But as a subsidiary quiz, you could make it a who are the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about... Because I haven't actually looked at the the answers. Um, probably not... It doesn't tell you in the answers. Uh, Sergeant Peppers it just, is... It's, I mean, technically, Sergeant Peppers is by Sergeant Peppers' Lonely Hearts Club Band. But the Beatles. <laughs> Bopping with Beethoven sounds like Reggie. Brothers in Arms, Dire Straits. The Wall is um, Danny Dyer. <laughs> <laughs> A Night at the Opera is Quan. Um, and you, you missed Hotter Than Hell. Oh, Hotter Than Hell, yeah. Uh, Hotter Than Hell. Is, yes, I think. 
No. Stones? No. Meatloaf? No. That's batter than hell. I'll give you a clue. Mm. Kiss? Yes. <laughs> it was either it was either that or Sexy Brummy. <laughs> that that <laughs> unknown <laughs> 70s band. Sexy yeah. Brummy. Ow! Ow! Oh, we're losing it. No, literally the best thing about this page is those the pictures. Pictures, yeah. 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 I've not really paid them too much attention before, but they're great. Yeah. In order to be it's... right about this, you have to get a piece of paper and write down the fucking list. And I just, I was looking at you, just going, oh, I can't yeah. I've got to say, the droop on the guinal <laughs> socket attachment is actually obscene. It's probably the most obscene <laughs> depiction of, of that that I've, I've seen. You want to see my banana, man? <laughs> when Eric eats a banana, he gets an erection. <laughs> Next, good news. It's a brand new advert, never before seen in this magazine. Bad news, <laughs> it's uh, it's Fleetway again. It's another. Uh, probably That's got it. a bit a magazine with a bit more budget than this magazine. Yeah, <laughs> it's the Judge Dread magazine. They had magazine and smegazine at the same oh, time. Oh, that's. This is when they got the idea. They oh. were like, they were put this advert in and went, oh, we got the magazine. <laughs> Do you know we what? We could call Maybe. it the smegazine. That, that is not a bad theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone did a typo. Oh, but the thing is, that's like, is that like, um, what's, the, what's he called? The conflict of interest. When you've got like two, <laughs> two, it's two bad, competing it's bad branding, right? When it's the same <laughs> company. But... Someone was eating noodles. While working on the Judge Dread magazine, dropped a noodle and it just so happened to land in an S shape right next to where it said magazine. That's it. And thus the idea was born. That's it. Amazing. Uh, but hey, very exciting section coming up. <laughs> the very next page the caption competition results. Finally, months later. Now, the <laughs> now. actual caption that won. I think all of our entries were better yes. than that. <laughs> I mean, it's... Have you picked a winner fine. from ours? No, I thought we'd do that on air. Fuck. Okay, hang on. <laughs> but did we have anything to say about the actual what's in the magazine? I don't really think we do. It's just too long. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, okay, so let's... Uh... Jane Butterworth of Coventry doesn't sound like a real person. No, well, no. <laughs> I apologise, Jane Butterworth of Coventry, if you are a real Imagine person. if she's actually listening to this. That would be amazing. <laughs> They're like, oh, someone's doing a, a podcast on this magazine. Do you remember when I won that caption competition? <laughs> and I've just basically accused her of not existing. Well, Shite. she got a baseball cap out of it. So yeah. Is that the same deal as the people that won a part on the Red Dwarf movie in that it doesn't actually end up happening? <laughs> I was going to say the person that that won a part in series seven didn't end up happening, but that did, didn't it? It was it was in yeah. the, in the crowd. So, as an alternative to Jane, so-called Buttersworth, um, worth it. here are the entries from the Ganymede and Titan contingency. Uh, Quinn Drummer suggests Arlene Rimmer, played by Barry Christopher, Isaac Pingu in a new episode of Red Dwarf Five. It's decent, snappy, it's all right. Ridley, what's black and white and red dwarf all over? <laughs> See, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. That is uh, that is literally the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> we read all of your comments. 
All of your emails. <laughs> you do? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I like to be pleasantly surprised by the comments. Warbadog, you want some seed? Clem, <laughs> uh, the role of Rimmer's new sidekick was hotly contested by the likes of Gordon the Gopher and Ed the Duck, but ultimately went to an unknown. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the idea of the, all these puppets existing in another world. They all audition, they all meet each other at the auditions. And start getting That's got to be a comic relief sketch of some description. <laughs> Just a cue of all of them. And also, like, top marks for, for both Claire and Quinn so far, in particular, of being in 1992 and making those references. Yeah. Like, Gordon the Gopher and Ed the Duck were the contemporary hand so, puppets yeah. of yeah. choice. And we did specifically, specifically request that you write these captions from the um, point of view of a 1992 idiot. Yeah. Someone actually who hadn't seen this episode because this was first um, given out before this yeah. episode aired. Before the episode aired. Um, a few more. Flapjack. Bad news. The film projector in the cinema is still broken. Good news. I've had more time to rehearse this week. <laughs> Captain Bollocks has one that is going to be slightly more difficult to say than it is to, <laughs> to in, in written form. Oh, Newt, Newt. Chris has second thoughts about his spitting image return after seeing what the budget cuts have done to his new role voicing their pastiche of Pingu. <laughs> but he liked the new dress code. That's good. <laughs> Dave, well, I can't hang around here. I'd better go take the penguin for a walk. That's nice. Ah, it's it's snappy. That's perfect. And finally, genuine. That's right, Pengi. One more squeak out of sweep, and he's smegging toast. <laughs> knowledge of the episode, genuine. Pengi, I like Pengi. <laughs> <laughs> so, who's won? <laughs> I would have to say, what's black and white and red both all over? I think that genuinely is the one that stood out. I, to me. I like that. that uh, I I can't stand around here all day. I have to take this fucking penguin for a walk. <laughs> I forget who did that one. Did you make it better by adding the I did, yes. I always <laughs> That was Dave. Whereas I like quite like Quinn Drummers, um, mostly for the Barry Christopher reference. <laughs> Barry Christopher. <laughs> I think three winners seems fine. Yeah. yeah. Especially as there's there's literally no prize. <laughs> I think all. they also get a parachute. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I think in many ways they're all winners, but in many more accurate ways they're all losers <laughs> so congratulations <laughs> to those three in yeah but genuinely you outperformed all of these 92 idiots yeah uh, yeah. You, if anyone deserves a Red Dwarf baseball cap of indeterminate size it's it's everyone on GNT <laughs> <laughs> the good news is we have another caption competition yes uh, this time as you will see in the show notes it's a uh, a Still from Whitehall, which is an episode that you have seen in this in, in 1992, mm-hmm. so you don't have to pretend to not know the actual context. So, give us your fucking captions then. Although, see, what's interesting about that shot is it's not actually from the episode; it's from like during filming because yeah. like Robert's looking off to one side somewhere, and that's Craig. Craig's yeah. cheeky cheeky grin yeah, on his yeah. cheeky cheeky face. Craig's, yeah, it looks like Craig's breaking character. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, this picture displays an element of Lister's costume that probably wouldn't be there today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Confederate flag. Oh, like fucking Confederate flag of his yeah. yeah. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that. I might say, you might have to get If you want to mention that in your caption, then feel free. 
a mindset you might have to get into is the fact that at the time Whitehall was weirdly shat upon by fans in general. Even Hattie actually mentions that mentions something. Whitehall like, wasn't considered. Yeah, one of the one best. Of the best. Yeah. And, really? yeah, and then they say that oh yeah, you, you they put the shit ones in fourth and fifth and the good ones in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So, which is weird. Yeah, Whitehall just was not really considered much of a club. Whereas, I mean, I know for me it's in top ten. I think it might be your favourite, isn't it, Danny? Yeah. It's usually within at least the top 10 yeah. or f- at least the top 15 when we do a poll. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, fucking hell. It's, 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 it's got Talky Toaster. It's, it's one of the best fucking... It is genuinely planets. one of the best episodes of Red Dwarf. <laughs> it's got... What is it? Hmm? It's one of the most iconic and best-remembered scenes and one of the cleverest scenes in the... It's, in the, one, of the, one, it's one of the cleverest Red episodes Dwarf fans remember. Lots of Hattie. Basically, what we're saying is whoever thought Whitehall was shit... You're a terrible person. I hate first generation Red Dwarf fans. They're all dicks. <laughs> so anyway, yes, get your captions in. <laughs> and uh, get your captions in. It'd be good. The the results will be revealed in issue five. Again, two. Oh, episodes what they only went two episodes. He says just two months from now, and it's like, yeah, that's probably accurate. <laughs> it's probably accurate for us as well. <laughs> yeah, I thought they'd be doing it like every month now because. Because they've I got think their... I think it's literally a post problem. I think it's literally how long it takes to get yeah, this fucking correspondence back in and and collate them and sort out the and probably go buy the baseball yeah. cap and all the rest. Of it. <laughs> Wait for the baseball cap to be delivered. Got to measure Jane Butterworth's head. It's about two Buttersworth. <laughs> the next feature is the one that we've all been waiting yeah. for. Don't look, Danny. <laughs> Don't scroll down. And I went, oh shit! I have to look away. It is. The long-awaited return of the Red Dwarf two-way quiz. I am genuinely nervous. So, as per last time, Danny and Capsi have not read this page, and so they don't know what the questions or, more crucially, the answers are, so we're going to play this as a proper quiz. Mm. Uh, I'm going to ask you each, in turn, uh, a question. Um, Last time we played this, we discovered that... um, the, I can't remember which way around it was, but either the odd or the even ones were a lot harder <laughs> than the other. Um, so we'll see how we go this time. <laughs> like whatever it gives us, you know, let's just roll the dice. Who's going to go first? I don't mind. Does anyone remember who went first last time? I can't be asked listening yeah. back to find out either. <laughs> you only listened to it about 20 times while listening. it. I was too busy putting the fucking... Who wants to bring me the We'll let Capsi go first this time. Smashing. And so we'll start with section one. Questions for people who know a fair amount about the programme but otherwise live full and worthwhile lives. Mm. So, Capsi, how many nipples does the cat have? Six. Correct. Danny, what was the name of Lister's first band? Smacking the head. Correct. What was the name of the backup computer invented by Holly? Queeg. 500. <laughs> the answer says Queek 500, but we'll let you off with Queek. So. <laughs> well, I gave you the follow Covered one. either way. <laughs> that that silence terrified me, by the way. It's like, what? Oh, fuck, what have I done? Gordon? No, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, Danny, how were Dave and Arnold known in the female-dominated parallel universe? How how, or how were they known? Uh, Deb and Arlene. Yeah, I mean, the question is wrong because they they were known as Dave and Arlene, uh, Dave and Arnold. The question should be what were their female equivalents? That's what, yeah. But nevertheless, (laughs) nevertheless, you've got it right. 
Uh, Capsi, what were Lennon and McCartney? Robot fish and also Scouse songsmiths. Scouse <laughs> <laughs> It only mentions the fish here, but yeah. Okay. I was after a bonus point. <laughs> Which zero gravity football team does Lister support? London Jets. Correct. What was Peterson's first name? Olaf. Correct. What type of creature was Camille? A girl. A pleasure girl. A pleasure girl. Okay. Which of Ace Rimmer's friends looks suspiciously like Holly? <laughs> Old wanking... Oh, hang on. No, Melly. <laughs> Do you know what? I <laughs> I heard... I made up the rest of that question in my head. I thought, oh, it was going to be Ace Rimmer's... Ace Rimmer's... <laughs> friend Spanners. And I was about to say Old wanking Spanners Lister, but... <laughs> But it's fine, I say that. <laughs> you just said wanking Holly. <laughs> wanking Holly instead. It's important you know where, like, I, I yeah, <clears throat> never assume what, don't buzz in too early, kids. <laughs> don't do it. You end up saying wanking Holly <laughs> to literally tens of listeners. And finally for section one, Danny, how many stasis booths does Red Dwarf have? Uh, well, I mean, at least two. <laughs> yeah, uh, it says two. Yeah, because it, uh, it is stated, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 For some reason, I had in my head six. That's why I, I gasped because I was like, "Do you know if what I got that?" I know why you think that. That's because of the fucking DVD menus. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the book it's different. Uh, yeah, it's a very controversial I question. I mean, there's, there's two. But nevertheless, at the end of that round, uh, you've got all the answers correct. Now, the scoring system here is <laughs> different. <laughs> so you start off with zero, obviously, but instead of gaining points for right answers, you have points deducted for wrong answers. So it's going to be different. Uh, <laughs> scoring it's just all minusing, minus um, Yeah, well, currently uh, it says in section one, deduct 10 points for every wrong answer. And you, neither of you have any wrong answers. So at the end of round one, you're both on zero points. Excellent. But that's a good thing. Points. So, section two. Questions for people who spend all day glued to videos of the episodes, obsessive smegheads, the lot of them. Ah, shit. Not an inaccurate way to describe any of us in the mid-90s, to, <laughs> mid to be fair. Yeah, well, I've slept since. <laughs> <laughs> so, Capsie. Who was Don Donatella? Don Donatella. Oh, Don uh, Do Donatella. I'm going to have to hurry you. Arbitrarily. <sighs> is it, it, it uh, someone credited on Androids? Maybe. No. I couldn't it get Donna is... De Stefano out of my head. <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I answer that? Yeah. No, I think it's something to do with London Jets. Oh. He is a zero G footballer. He was a roof attack. As was Jim oh. Fitzley Speed. The poster of which is in um behind the speed yep. heads. Yeah, there's That's Don Donatello posters. I think there's one in the Bunkin series one and two as well. Shit it all to hell. <laughs> Shit on it. <laughs> Rest in peace. A question of similar difficulty, I think. Uh for Danny, what type of sandwich did Lister find in Adolf Hitler's briefcase? Oh, come uh, on. Banana. <laughs> Kelsey's only getting annoyed by this. Banana and crisps. 
Correct. <laughs> Capsy, how did Crichton's friend Gilbert prefer to be known? Kaplunk, Kaplunk. Ooh, where's my satchel? No. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't give you that. Have you watched the show? <laughs> I'll give you another go. No, yeah, no, another no. Go. Fucking, just, just fucking tell me. Ramesses Niblick the third. Kaplunk, Kaplunk, whoops, where's my thribble? Thribble, right, okay. Well, I wouldn't have got it, because, uh, yeah, I'd forgotten about the Ramesses Niblick the third. Again, another really difficult one, equally difficult. Which episode was provisionally titled Men of Honour? Maroon. Correct. Don't worry, Capsy. It's going to be. faces again. <laughs> it's going to be just as easy. Well, that on last your... one, that last one was my. I will like Don Donatello was bullshit, but that yeah, Don Donatello was the, the that, that was on question. me. Like, yeah. Ramesses Nibble the Third is on me. But don't worry, don't worry. Question five: What posts did Jane Eyre hold? What post did Jane Eyre hold? Correct. Well, no, not correct. But that, correct that that is the question. You need to do repeat the question, you win. Post Jane Eyre hold. <laughs> she must have been a crew member. Some sort of fucking Easter egg in the background. No? No? No. I uh, oh, I'll tell you what. Um, I'll say uh, first navigation officer. Incorrect. Daddy? Well, all I know is that she's one of the crew of the Nova 5. She's one of the three yeah. that... Uh, but I, Miss I, Jane! Yeah, oh, flight yeah. controller? She was a mapping officer. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have got that. Fuck me. That's, it's that's, that is obscure as fuck. Yeah, it's, that is a really difficult one. But yeah, Danny's turn now, and it's another really difficult one. <laughs> what is the colour uh, of Red Dwarf? <laughs> To whom did Rimmer write secret love letters? Carol McCauley. Correct. Was that easy for you, Captain? Did you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never seen... Way. You are seething. You're so annoyed by that. No, I'm not. It, I'm... <laughs> I... <laughs> I may have... Checks the you... questions before deciding who went first. But come on, you can claw this back. Yeah, I'm sure I can. Who is particularly afraid of tarantulas? Lister. Well, I don't know whether to give you that. Oh, fuck's <laughs> because it's but the answer says both Lister and Rimmer. No, Lister. What? No. I'd have said Lister based yeah. on and then obviously um, than life. terraform. Yeah. But in Better Than Life, um, is, Rimmer says it's one of his worst fears as well. I'll give you the point because uh, you've you've already lost. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I don't know how it's possible to win because because if I it, once you get a minus, then you have to get more questions wrong in order to bypass them. I don't I don't know. There's <laughs> maths involved. But Danny, what was the occupation of the legendary Dubois brothers? Uh carved like maquettes they carved little figurines yeah All right. uh, they made Rimmer's toy soldiers oh, toy that makers. was that was their <laughs> yeah that was their full job title we make Rimmer's <laughs> toy soldiers 
<laughs> Top line of the CV. Yeah, only Rimmer knows about him, which is why they're legendary. Capsi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how many of Cloyster's sacred laws has Lister already broken? remember how many in total there are because it's however many there are minus one <laughs> uh, nine the answer was four four because there's five sacred laws correct uh, yeah. and Danny what stopped him breaking more yeah, there's no sheep on board correct that so. is a piss take that last question <laughs> is like here's the hard bit <laughs> and then there's the easy bit that you already, that, you know, it's obvious. Oh, yeah. Played for and got. Yeah, whatever. So, at the end of the quiz, uh, by the way, you only actually you only lose one point for questions wrong in uh, section two because they're harder questions. So, Capsi, you've ended up with minus four. But the winner this week, with an impressive zero, is Danny. So if I'd have got one question wrong in the first round, I'd have been, I'd have lost. Yeah. Yeah. And like so. <laughs> yes. Last time round, the first round was meaningless because the <laughs> questions in the second round were worth so much more. This time round, it's the opposite way round. This time, if one of you had got one wrong but the other didn't in the first section, there'd be no point playing section two at all. <laughs> So well done, everyone. Yeah, well done, everyone. That, to be fair, that was a poor showing for me. Also, does that mean that Danny has got, got a one hundred percent record across both quizzes at this point? Because I'm pretty sure he got all of them right last time as well. No, I think I no, no, I can't remember. No, I, I think I think you are. I think you're at one hundred percent, which means all the more pressure for the next one, Danny. Okay, you got to keep <laughs> it up. Keep it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I might retire. Victoria, you might. <sighs> I'll just like me, me versus honey. Well, here's the like, thing: I can't remember whether there's any more quizzes in uh, in this magazine, so you might. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. 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 So with that excitement out of the way, we've got a couple more features to run through. Firstly, the episode guide, series one, which, as we said last time, it would have been partridge shrug. <laughs> it would have been the most sought after one at the time mm. in 1992 because this is episodes that had never been repeated or released and so yeah information on it would have been thin on the ground this also shits on our theory <laughs> that they were avoiding doing series one because it hadn't been uh, put out on vhs yet and they didn't want to ruin the plots like, it turns yeah. out they were just doing it out of order because they're hilarious and they're doing the same thing as the vhs uh, releases mm. presumably it's like we're doing it out of order and that's about it um i'm curious to know whether this is a thing that's unique to my copy or whether it's in the pdf as well what do the cast notes say for waiting for god if you're god why that phase yeah and and then the cast notes underneath Uh, there is no cast notes missing yeah it's not just me then yeah i assume that was something that's been copied in just (laughs) yeah Bit of a bit of a cock up. The, the space is there. You yeah. can write it. There's a feature where if you've got a purple biro, you can write in. It's got Noel Coleman in it. Noel Coleman. Yeah, promo standard affair. Got some good good promo. A really good promo pick actually. Yeah, I love the. I love that salute one. That's a fucking classic. The salute one is very. Yeah, that's um, very in character. That's what's used on the DVD cover, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, in the printed version. 
for some reason that I don't quite understand, um, the back cover and the next piece of paper are both on shiny paper. They're both... It's like, for some reason, even though it's just normal contents of the magazine. So those photos are on uh, gloss paper, and they look absolutely fantastic in print. Like the clearest that I've ever seen those images. It looks absolutely gorgeous. They look pretty like that on the PDF, to be honest with you. The Lister's bike, Lister one on the bike is the clearest I've ever seen. What what room is that? The teaching room? The teaching room slash where Cat eats. Oh, it's the cafeteria. Yeah, it's the the cafeteria. It's it's the spare room in series one that they repurposed. It's the same room that they stood in with the one above. Yeah, with that Ted poster. Ted, Um, unite Ted. (laughs) Ted. Ted. That's the 11th Ted reference you're going to get. <laughs> so again, the, the best thing about this feature is the pictures. Yeah, the, well, the, the the one of Lister on his bike, is it's it's very it's very weird and out of character and very, like, James Deany almost, isn't it? It's like he's trying to be as cool as yeah. possible. But, um, but it does kind he's of not cool, that. he's literally slime. Yeah. Craig Charles is literally slime. He's literally slime. <laughs> he's not cool at all. Uh, interesting, is that a prop cigarette? Because it seems to be the exact same length in those two photos. Miles was a cigarette. They could have been done, yeah, maybe. No. I mean, yeah. Craig, didn't Craig Charles have a prop cigarette? He'd be smoking no. anyway. There's no smoke yeah. there. It wasn't, it wasn't scripted <laughs> that he was <laughs> supposed to be holding the cigarette. He <laughs> just stepped in to catch him. There's definitely something um, to be done with going through promo pictures and like ranking them and like discussing them, like pro- properly like going into depth on them. Don't don't come up with ideas that. We're okay, not... <laughs> after <laughs> after our last video project gets edited. <laughs> Um, Don't make us do things like you know what I mean. Like the, the 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 promo shots, they're one of those things that after a while you, they just kind of skim past your vision and you don't. You're like, oh, it's that one. Oh, yeah. it's that one. And you, you never, don't sit and analyze them. Yeah, yeah. And there's probably details and stuff you might never have spotted. Like in that motorbike one, there's just someone's feet in the uh, towards the top of frame. Oh yeah, someone just stood there. Yeah. Oh yeah. A crew member, presumably. Anyway, there isn't much more of, of note, really, is there? With I mean, they're in a similar style to the last one, which I happen to like. Some, some, some. We received some letters that said they don't really like this uh, style, but it's. I mean, how else are you going to entertainingly sum up an episode it's, without stealing yeah. some of its jokes? You know, it's a balance of because they don't completely give away the plots necessarily uh they don't give away the endings but um but they they nevertheless summarize what the episode is about mm-hmm. which i think is pretty much exactly what i said last time so we might as well exactly it's just on. pretty much the same as last time isn't it yeah yeah yep they're getting their kind of proof material built up for the uh first program guide which w- yeah. wouldn't be far far away at this point yep. and so the final feature is the letters page holograms? I've been looking forward to this more than any other part, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, unlike the last issue, these, there are actual letters here. Yeah. So, before we got on to reading out the comments that you guys have been uh, leaving, let's just. <laughs> any, any, any things of note that you'd like to, to mention from the real life letters that were received? Yeah, the. Um... 
they don't hold back. They post everything. <laughs> yeah. Bad or good. Um, dear Smegheads, I'm just right to say that I think that Holly's fun page and Holly's amazing facts were crap. And you should have put something a bit more grown up in their place. That's all, really. I'm a Red Dwarf fan who wishes to remain anonymous. Yes, anonymous spelt like that. And they just say, no. no. <laughs> That's the perfect way of dealing with a letter like that. Like, print it, and then, yeah, don't don't actually retaliate. You allow, yeah. yeah, you allow for criticism, but you know, it's a case of it's a case of noted. We don't know what to say to this. Undercut them in a way that doesn't necessarily undercut the point. That yeah, because yeah, yeah. Um, and like, yeah, the very first letter is <laughs> a complaint about like, or like a side complaint about like, you know, please don't write the answers as if it's Holly or Crichton, <laughs> and so they turn that into a thing as a way of almost introducing the editorial voice into this part which is quite nicely yeah 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 and i definitely prefer having the editor respond rather than the editor writing as a character yeah you have to do that person was correct and it's it's better than it is it's not someone pretending it's certainly better for us as um as red dwarf historians digging through the artifacts of the day (laughs) to Mm. have real you know like the real person um so how many of these letters did you read in Adam Buxton's comment guy voice? <laughs> Most. <laughs> yes. Especially Nutter Nairn, uh, real name David from Inverness. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I, I don't know anything about this person, and this was 30 years ago, and, and who knows what they're up to now. But I can safely say, what a prick. Yeah. I think that Rimmer is a complete smeghead. <laughs> uh, he's got the IQ of pile of cow shit. Yeah. Here's a picture of his brain. You can guess I'm not printing it. No, it's the editor saying that bit. Uh, well, uh, the editor has that voice as well. <laughs> the person who gave him authority on Red Dwarf is definitely on hash, LSD, and ecstasy. <laughs> you have just named the three drugs that you've heard of. <laughs> Very 90s. This was yeah. written by a 10 year old child. Pretty much, yeah. That's why I was saying like, it was 30 years ago. This is probably a child. But nevertheless, that child is a cunt. <laughs> uh, when he was alive, you should have bust his balls. I think the list is cool, and so is... Yeah, this is this, like 10 years old. I think the list <laughs> is cool, and so is the cat, but Rimmer can kiss my penis. Nut and <laughs> There's five yeah. symbols, so I'm assuming and the five letter yeah, word. The dollar sign is where the S would be. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I liked um, that someone had... Um, Samantha Loveless from Chalfonts and Peter, which doesn't sound like a real place. No, that's it's like Ottery Saint Catchpole or whatever it's called. It's like just <laughs> these sort of like go-to places that sound like not real places. Yeah, like a like a name and location from a um, a Python annual. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they have reversed uh, backwards. They did the thing of like reversing ah. the tape and, and figuring out what was said. Obviously, way before Smegouts told us what Arthur Smith says. But it's, yeah, the, the, so they've gone out and made the effort and done it and transcribed it, but like sort of paraphrased it. So like they're they're writing the letter and they can't quite remember exactly what it was, but it says he says something along the lines of, and then there's a few bits that are just that are just a bit wrong, but the gist is there. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing of like. Uh, I've discovered this thing I must write in and tell them about it. It's really admirable and endearing in the yeah. pre-internet days that this was how this information was spread. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah. And this is it. This is you know this is the source 
are the beginnings of lots of urban legends like pre let's say pre DVD urban legends where before most of them got put to bed one way or another I think, you know yeah. this is the origin of all that it's really cool seeing it I like the fact that someone is misremembering an episode of B squared like uh, because they haven't seen it for ages and they weren't sure whether it yeah, was wasn't there an episode called Caspacho Soup yeah <laughs> obviously in this epi- in this magazine with, with the fucking guide he'll have worked that out but yeah. it's just one yeah. issue too late <laughs> Yeah, you can imagine reading the episode guide just before the letter section. <laughs> oh, shit. Now I look like a complete idiot. <laughs> Why didn't you know that? It was on the previous page. <laughs> I told you this before, that. <laughs> and so, shall we move on to our letters that yeah, we have received? So, yeah, go on then. From our listeners slash readers. Um, Warbadog has written in to say... Um, Regarding the cover, and we talked about how the cover was quite bare, and and the, how the artwork took up a lot of the of the screen space. Oh yeah, not a screen, but you know what I mean. Real estate. Yes. Uh, Warbadog says the cover might have been Fleaways changing editorial style generally. Their turtles coming from the same months as this magazine was similarly bare, with a picture of a turtles magazine that had no very little indication of what was actually in the magazine. Yeah. But by the time Sonic the Comet came out in 1993, it was busy with text and larger character images to stand out from the racks like the 1993's magazines, uh, which of course we will come to. Mm. Excellent. I am looking forward to the, the evolution of the, the covers, I have to say. I imagine there's quite a lot of interesting shit in there. Dave, read the issue one, set report timing. I think it's pretty hilarious and very Red Dwarf that you had two reporters on site when all this historic stuff is going down. <laughs> And the report ends up missing all that and focuses on how boring it all is and how they ended up wandering from room to room and losing their tape recorder. They don't know, though. They can't know oh, that. That's brilliant. <laughs> if they'd covered Watergate, it would probably have ended up being a scandal about how the hotel minibar wasn't fully stocked and the housekeeping forgot to make the bed. <laughs> that's good. Dave is also one of the people on the subject of fan fiction to mention Carney's Homecoming if only for the way it ties up so many yeah. loose ends in the Red Dwarf canon. My and bad a, for not mentioning that one. Yeah, bastard. Yeah. There was a bit of uh, conversation that went on in the comments prompted by something International Debris said in their letter regarding the holograms from, from the previous issue. Oh good, another bunch of fan fiction. I think my lager's finished in the oven. Is this Lister coming up with a crap <laughs> lie or is he meant to be cooking his lager? <laughs> <laughs> Which Clem points out that he does have hot lager with croutons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that seems like just a really half-assed, like t- tossed-off line. That's like, yeah, he had hot lager with croutons. Let's just say he's cooking his lager. But <laughs> international debris also points out that, um, which is something that we did realise before we published, but we forgot to put it in the show notes that Danny Blessed said when he meant Japanese meal. <laughs> The reason for this is that Danny is racist. (laughs) However, Dave says that's still not the best misquote of that line I've ever heard. After watching the episode, a school friend of mine thought it was, you make love like a raw mule. (laughs) What? This is is pink gudgeon territory, isn't it? Egg egg corns. (laughs) Pink gudgeon down the side. (laughs) Clem points out, uh, because we mentioned spats in the intro to the last magazine wreck, it was the last ever episode of Spats. Chloe Annette is in the last ever episode of Spats. Really? And and a scene that she's in also features the slushy library music from Lister's film in Confidence and Paranoia. 
<laughs> One hell of a Red Dwarf connection, and yes. quite possibly a future G in TV. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good catch. Like, well done. <laughs> Path, he says, "Wow, that caption competition was worth waiting for." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pete Part Three has left lots of good comments, uh, like a couple of long comments, but crucially. And this is admittedly a bit of a weird way of doing it. When we ask for your letters, we need them to be about the previous issue, the one that we've just discussed in the Dwarfcast that you're commenting on, uh, because uh, basically Danny and Capsi need to read these magazines completely spoiler-free and free of any um, prejudices that may be given from other people's opinions. It's all right, I didn't read his comment, just like (laughs) all of his other comments. (laughs) But yeah, the gist is um, Pete Part 3 isn't a huge fan of this magazine <laughs> by the sounds of things. Um, it, did, it does touch on a lot of the same points that we made. It's worth reading uh, through the, the comments. As always it is on GNT, it's worth reading through all the comments. Flapjack, again lots of points, I'll just pick out a few of them. Um, I hope Danny isn't too put upon by the impression requests. Only become Brian Blessed if you feel the inspiration. And that's good advice for anyone, really. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> just, to, just, to put, just to put that on record. You're not too put upon? No. <laughs> Excellent. So I wonder what Brian Blessed would... Um... <laughs> I wonder what how it would sound if Brian Blessed read out the warning from the front of this magazine. <laughs> And he has a chest infection. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Warning! If badge is removed from cover, there will be a lethal... Lethal? Oh, fuck. Uh, Fuckery buggers. (laughs) If badge is removed from cover, there will be a potentially lethal emission of cadmium 2 danger. (laughs) Good. <laughs> well, unfortunately, uh, the electricians have turned off the lights, and we can't retake that line, Brian. <laughs> it's very, uh, it's very don't dead open inside. <laughs> <laughs> Another of Flapjack's points: uh, it's very amusing that for two issues in a row, the cast interview has featured them being asked. You're basically close to done with this character, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely be awkward if they asked Hattie that. And they kind of did. They kind of did, but yeah, not quite in the same way because no. she hasn't had the chance to kind of bring the other that way character around. Dry, more like a, you think you could do more with this character, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I've got loads yeah. to do with this character. Mm. <laughs> and finally, uh, for this letters page, Ridley asks if GNT had a magazine in the nineties, which GNT would be kicking out at the reader on the cover to show that they had the most radical of attitudes? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a reference to one of the past covers? Um, I think Sonic the Comic, <laughs> to be fair. Right. Yeah, early, earlier in the thread, there's an image of the first Sonic the Comic. <laughs> oh, in fact, yeah, sc- scrolling back, it's also the the Ninja Turtles magazine that I mentioned earlier has Raphael uh, with his foot raised towards the, towards the reader. So, yeah, it's definitely a thing. <laughs> but then I think Michelangelo has the most radical attitude of all the Turtles. I think he'd like people to think that. But... Raphael's just a fucking emo kid I mean moodily standing in the rain let's face like it they're probably Captain all Jack. Tories by now right <laughs> especially Leonardo yeah double Leonardo like he's the he's the one that started it but which of us has the most radical attitude it's 
was what? Arms in the shit. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had those conversations yet. <laughs> well, I'm pro death penalty. I don't know about you two. <laughs> so is that radical or reaction? Splinter is a radical rat. Just to yeah. combine the two. I mean, they're all radical, really, because they they are radically different yeah. to... None of us are radical in that we're fairly <laughs> cut and dry, <laughs> nice we are standard. <laughs> we are standard white men. <laughs> but I'm, I'm probably the most likely to say something risky about something. I don't know, maybe. You'll have your foot raised because you're not really paying attention to the photograph being taken and you're in the middle of walking off somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah, he's, so, he's, yeah. he's well, taking care of everything else. <laughs> that's me doing wordpress updates on the site you know i just i take care of everything else you yeah. two ride your horses <laughs> ride your horses, man. Ride your horses. Oh, mate. get off your horse and drink your milk get off your horse and punch it <laughs> <laughs> Is that from something? No, you, I think you're. I think I think you've just paraphrased "shit in a bag and punch it." Well, <laughs> <laughs> get off your horse and punch it is much better. Oh dear. Okay, well, there's just time for a little preview of the next issue, which will feature Future Echoes Part One. Ah, oh, that's what they're doing then, is it? They've finished the end, and there is Future Echoes. Who'd mm. have thunk it? We have Danny John Jules, an interview therewith. So this will possibly be concluding the the, the interviews they did on set. Uh, we haven't had Craig yet. Oh, have we not? Oh, okay. I guess we haven't... Well, no, they never got to talk to Rob, did they? <laughs> Maybe they did a phone interview with Rob. <laughs> no, he was busy. <laughs> busy sucking Juliet, mate. Episode guide, which series will we choose this time? I don't know, you crazy fools. Like, they'll just <laughs> they could do anything. Well, there's only two left. More holograms, plus mutiny amongst the scutters, a feature that's so funny we haven't even thought it up yet, and a cover that's so wacky and addictive you'll want to buy it again and again. Please. Please. Because <laughs> no one's buying advertising space. <laughs> we need to sell we more. We need the numbers. And so, as we close the magazine on a lovely picture of Chris Barry, or Rimmer rather, from uh, Hollow Ship. Legs akimbo in the Black Adder the Third slash Tory Conference <laughs> power pose. Oh, as a customer to, as I am to speaking. <laughs> that is about it for this podcast. But don't forget to send in your hilarious captions and send us some letters about the magazine, the podcast, or both. Uh, you can leave your comments over at www.ganymede.tv or you can tweet us. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. But until then, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay happy, stay warm, stay out of the wind. Stalybridge resident Jack Judge, 1878 to 1938, was a fishmonger originally from Oldbury in Staffordshire, who became a singer comedian after winning a talent competition. Jack is best remembered as the writer and composer of the song It's a Long Way to Tipperary, which became immensely popular during the First World War. This was written in Stalybridge on the 30th of January 1912 as a result of a five shilling bet and was first performed on the following day at the Grand Theatre in the town. That's a really good fact. That is good, I like that. That's a really good fact, I enjoyed that one. <laughs> and as always... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Goodbye.
But first, it's time to set the mood by taking a look at what was happening in the world in this magazine's in. But first, it's time to set the mood by taking a look at what was happening in the world when this magazine was the fucking <laughs> thing you can imagine rereading when you were younger as well. Yeah. which is which is you know essential really for a magazine because you shouldn't just have to read it. You shouldn't just want to read it once. How rude! <laughs> Did you finish your thought then, Kelsey? <laughs> I did, I did, yeah. You, you'll be able to find it on my track. I don't think we need to go on about that anyway. <laughs> I think Danny's, Danny's thing about the, the overlaps and the sugar babes is where that conversation cuts. <laughs> the overlaps and the sugar babes. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Section coming up, <laughs> the very next page. The caption competition results. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay warm, stay happy, stay out of the fucking wind. Oh, <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Stay out of the fucking wind. Mon- stay out the fucking a month wind. ago, he's <laughs> like, I'm telling them off. Oi! <laughs> Get out the fucking wind! <laughs> I wonder what Grandad John's doing these days. <laughs>